If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. If what you really care about is creating a planet that can sustain itself and that can live on, then it doesn't matter whether you get the praise for it or someone else does. Like what you want is the planet's good and it doesn't really matter what it does for you. What is potentially the next big thing in sustainable fashion that we can get excited about? What drives trends and how can we use our understanding of this to support sustainability? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons. To join our Green Dreamer network and support the show, you can head to greendreamer.com support. And thank you so much if you're already a patron. For now, to our conversation with Whitney Bauk, the associate editor at fashionista.com, where she largely focuses on sustainability, worker rights, and diverse representation within the industry. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. I have loved fashion my whole life, had always been interested in it when I was younger, when I first started getting into the industry, wasn't thinking a ton about sustainability, but I was thinking a lot about fashion ethics and thinking a lot specifically about garment laborers' rights. And then from there, it was a really quick entry into sustainability because once you start thinking about how fashion is made and how that impacts the people who make it, it becomes pretty hard to in- ignore the environmental aspect as well because not only does it affect the planet, but what we do to the planet affects us. So Mm. that was sort of one of my ways into thinking about sustainability. I think the other one, which in some ways feels less direct, but sort of undergirds a lot of my thinking is that I grew up in the Philippines and there's just a different relationship with the environment when you're living in a city like Manila in a country like the Philippines, which is made up of over 7,000 islands. For a lot of my friends in the U.S., which is where I live now, they, especially if they live in cities, they can feel kind of insulated from the impacts of climate change and the impacts of pollution because of sort of the infrastructure of their city, cleans up the trash, things like that. But in Manila, 
pollution was in your face all the time because it's such a big city and there, there weren't all of the same resources to sort of handle that waste. So I have a really distinct memory of being in middle school and being on a boat coming into being in, in Manila Bay, coming onto this little island called Corregidor and which is like um, an old military base and looking out and the water didn't look like water. Like it just looked like we were on land because the trash floating on top of the water was so closely packed together. And some of that's, you know, some of that is waste from locals, but some of that's not, some of that's waste. That's at the time I didn't know this, but some of that waste that ends up sort of on the shorelines in places like the Philippines is coming from other parts of the world and traveling there through the ocean. So I think I just grew up with some really distinct images in my head around pollution and sort of the impact that has and growing up in a a country that's devastated by typhoons pretty regularly. And some of that's how it's been forever. But I think the ways that climate change is accelerating and sort of magnifying the impacts that those kinds of storms can have also makes it feel really real to me. It doesn't feel like abstract data or numbers on a screen. Mm. You mentioned that you got into sustainable fashion in part because you were starting to focus on the ethical issues in fashion, but what even got you there in the first place? Yeah, so this is always a part that I feel kind of funny talking about in the context of New York because it seemed it can kind of like freak people out in my life now, but honestly, it was really through faith and spirituality for me. So I grew up in a setting with a lot of religious folks and that that really impacted the way I viewed the world and when I started thinking about fashion, you know, I really loved fashion, but it was almost like I thought it was work that was like too superfluous. Like it didn't really matter because I was growing up around a lot of people of faith who were doing work that was really, really purpose driven. I was around a lot of like nonprofit and NGO people who were working with the urban poor and a lot of like really concrete ways they were helping the world. And so I loved fashion, but I kind of didn't I didn't really think it was work that mattered because I I didn't have that sense of the, like the depth of fashion and sort of all of the different things it's connected to. So for me, it was also in college when I sort of started to rethink my own approach to fashion. And it was really looking through a sort of spiritual worldview and thinking about ethics and thinking about what is right and what is wrong, which obviously there are so many different ways of coming to those, those decisions about what you think is right and what is wrong. But I think for me, once I started using my lens to think about the fashion industry, it became clear that regardless of what your background is, regardless of sort of what your religious preconceptions are or are not, we can all agree on some really basic things like no one should die to make a t-shirt and Mm -hmm. like we shouldn't be pouring toxins into our planet. And it was sort of through studying what all the different things are that fashion touches that led me there. So from having covered such a wide array of topics on fashion and sustainable fashion, what do you think is the most interesting thing that you've ever written? I wrote about regenerative farming recently, and that I can't say that it's my favorite of all time, but it's just very top of mind right now because the opportunity for addressing the climate crisis that comes through regenerative agriculture is honestly mind-boggling. Like, I kind of can't believe something like this exists that we haven't been utilizing more fully already. So that's kind of the thing that I'm really, really jazzed about right now. 
Yeah. I remember I interviewed Rebecca Burgess of Fibershed. Mm-hmm. It was way earlier on. I'll link to this episode in the show notes, but she was the one that introduced the idea of how regenerative agriculture fits into the fashion industry. But I'd love to get your take on that too. So how do you see regenerative agriculture relating to fashion? There are sort of two ways we can make clothes, right? One is to start with natural fibers and that's, you know, things like cotton and wool and cashmere and silk. The other way is to start with synthetic fibers. I think as awareness around the problems with synthetics, whether that's chemicals and toxins and microplastics or whatever it is, as awareness around all of that is growing, there's more and more demand, both from conscious consumers and conscious brands for natural fiber solutions. But then when you get into natural fiber solutions, you're talking about the environmental impact of agriculture, which is also really, really huge. The really exciting thing about regenerative agriculture is that it's basically a way of farming that can actually sequester carbon. So this is in the article that I just wrote, but people are basically saying that we can sequester all of the world's carbon if we if we could convert all industrial farming over to regenerative practices. Basically, what that means is you can reverse climate change with farming. And the, the reason that that ties into fashion is because in theory and practice, that's where we're getting a lot of our fibers. So whether it's how we're growing our cotton, whether it's how we're grazing the animals that we're uh, then shearing for wool or the cows that we're raising and then using their leather All of those things, all of those ways of raising plants and raising animals can be done regeneratively in ways that are so much better for the soil and then ultimately better for the people and the plants and the animals, which is really exciting. Yeah, it's almost mind boggling how such a powerful and logical solution that we know to work hasn't really been a part of the mainstream conversations to do with climate change. So I'm really glad that you've written about this. I'm really excited to read this myself and also link to this in our show notes so our listener can read it as well. So thank you for sharing your expertise on that. Also, over the years, how do you think sustainable fashion has changed? I've been writing about ethics and sustainability in fashion pretty regularly since 2013. There are people who have been in the space way longer than I have. I think we're at a kind of a tipping point in terms of the sustainable fashion community where we get to decide how we're going to move forward. Because to me, it feels like it's been pretty recent that the mainstream industry is seeing this as not just a like niche, weird little thing and is recognizing that this is the future. And as a result, it's honestly, it, it's like, it makes good business sense to be in this space. It makes good sense for people's careers, but it also means that there are people who are getting into it for different reasons, I suppose. So there are Mm. people who are getting into it because they think, you know, this could be a boost to my career or this is strategic. And in some ways I welcome that because I just think, you know, whoever's doing it and whatever their reason, if, if we're creating sort of an incentive to move towards sustainability, like that's a good thing. I guess what I'm really hopeful about is that the people who have been invested in this space for a long time will choose to say, like, this space is big enough for all of us. Everyone belongs here. The first time I ever interviewed Mara Hoffman, which was a few years ago now, it was pretty early into her brand sort of shifting over to a more sustainable model. And I remember her saying how struck she was by how different it was when she started working in the sustainability community. Because before that, you know, she had been in the mainstream industry and people were really territorial. Like people wouldn't share sources. People, people were really um, protective of any 
resources they had and they weren't they weren't very willing to give those away mm-hmm. and she said once she moved into sustainability she was like it was crazy people were just sort of handing me resources that they'd worked really hard to build or to find and she was so encouraged by that and it makes so much sense right it's like if what you really care about is creating a planet that can sustain itself and that can live on then it doesn't matter whether you get the praise for it or someone else does. Like what you want is the planet's good. And right. It doesn't really matter what it does for you. And that's my that's really my hope for the sustainability community, that as the space grows and as it becomes in some ways more crowded and more competitive, that we as a community will choose to have that attitude and say, I would, I would rather collaborate that, than compete. I would rather share my resources than hoard them because I think that's the only way we're going to really move towards progress that has kind of the whole globe in mind and not just our own personal profile or personal career. Mm. So it sounds like we're currently at a fork in the road where this space is growing. And typically when there's just this many companies and people in the space, it can just naturally start to be more competitive. But we also have the choice to stay collaborative and cooperative so we can help each other out and work towards our goal faster. Yeah, absolutely. So from you having looked at so many parts of the fashion industry, what do you think is our most alarming or urgent environmental issue that we need to know? In some ways, I don't feel qualified to comment on what is most pressing. I think I would really love to leave that to data scientists. And I, <laughs> if anything, I feel like we don't consult data scientists enough, which is how things, how misinformation gets spread. So like when everyone kept saying the fashion is the number two most polluting industry right. in in the world, fact that wasn't really a fact for years after it had been debunked. To me, that's a sign that we're, we're not going to scientists often enough. So I won't claim to know what is necessarily most pressing. I do think the things that are most top of mind for me right now are plastics and agriculture. So partly just because I think that's where the, that's where sort of the buzz is. I know everyone's feels like if you're in this space at all, you're probably aware of the questions around plastics that however, doesn't mean that we've found all the solutions. So figuring out what to do about poly bags, figuring out better ways to make things compostable, much less just removing any virgin plastics from our supply chains at all. Like we we have a long way to go before we're there, but that feels really important. And then the other thing I think I'm going to probably bring this up 40 times in this <laughs> conversation, but agriculture just has such a huge potential for impact. So thinking of, and and something like less than 2% of the world's cotton is grown organically. Like that, that still kind of blows my mind considering how much we know about the benefits of going organic. So I think those are two of the things that I think about a lot is how to reduce our plastic production and consumption and how to make all the agriculture that we're doing, not just sort of baseline sustainable, but genuinely regenerative where we're rebuilding soil health. Mm. And with you knowing all of this and with you seeing so many of the industry's ongoing social and environmental issues, how do you deal with being so aware of these concerns while knowing that the industry has ways to go in tackling them? I'm really motivated by things I find challenging. <laughs> <laughs> so in some ways, there's there's less of an instinct to be despairing for me than there is to say, okay, this is this is the challenge and this is what we've got to do. And that's partly just sort of how I'm wired, like personality wise. I don't know if we have any Enneagram nerds. It's a, 
personality typology that I am way too dorky about, but I'm an eight on the Enneagram, if that means anything to anyone. And so I really, when I see how far we have to go, it honestly just makes me want to work harder and figure out how to address it more quickly. I would also love to get your thoughts on fashion's place in activism. And you had touched on this a little earlier, but I feel like for me, fashion is a creative outlet and a way of self-expression that I really enjoy. And from having learned a lot about sustainable fashion from you and other thought leaders in the field, I know that there is a more ethical and sustainable way to be fashionable. But sometimes in the face of things like climate change and this sixth mass extinction that we're in, I almost feel guilty in taking pleasure and a deep interest in how I dress or my style or how I look. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on this and also on fashion's role in society beyond the appearances. Oh, wow. That's so that's there's so much there. There's so many sort of different threads that I could follow, I guess. In terms of enjoying fashion or participating in in sort of the fun of fashion in the face of a lot of really devastating realities that are sort of creeping up on us, I, I sort of feel like there's two sides of the coin, right? On the one hand, I don't, I don't want to act like fashion can fix everything. It can't. Like, fashion is not a perfect tool. And I do think there are times when, I mean, I work in fashion media. So every day I'm writing about fashion news and there are times there are things that happen in the world that make me just want to say, you know what, today, like this can't be the thing that we're focused on. Like when the, when the Kavanaugh hearings were happening here in the U S I was listening to the Kavanaugh hearings in my headphones while I was like building galleries of off whites Paris fashion week show. And it was a really bizarre sort of juxtaposition of feeling like there's these really devastating things happening around gender and politics in America. And to some degree in this specific case, like fashion can't address that or it can't fix that. So I want to recognize the limitations, but on the other hand, I think fashion has, has this really amazing ability to both reflect culture in a way that we can see what's happening around us and and sort of distill it and make it visible and also to push the agenda in one direction or another. I think the fashion industry, there are ways that it leads and there are ways that it follows. So an example of leadership, I think I think fashion has been sort of ahead of the curve societally in, in conversations around gender and sexuality. So the fashion industry has tended to be a safer place for people who don't fall into the sort of cis heteronormative boxes that our culture has created longer than society at large has. Does, does that mean that fashion is a perfect haven? No, not at all. But it does mean that there are places like the fashion world and the world of theater and a lot of sort of art spaces that have been safer for individuals who might not feel safe in every industry And that's really exciting. I mean, that's a way that fashion can push things forward by honestly, by making things cool, which like that's its own double edged sword. (laughs) There is power in it. It can foster conversation. So in terms of fashion's role in in activism, I mean, it's so I go back and forth on this. Like, I think there are some things it can do really well. And I think, you know, sort of like voting with your dollar and being being aware of the way that consumer movements really do push companies, especially in a very capitalistic society 
is really important. And I also don't think that if you're limiting your entire activism, so to speak, to the way that you're shopping or what you're wearing, I, I don't think that's enough, quite frankly. I think we have to be, I think we need to be writing it into policy. I think we need to be voting for the kinds of people who are thinking about the environment. I think there are a lot of other ways we need to be addressing these problems and it can't end with our wardrobe, but I think it can start with our wardrobe sometimes. On this note, I want to go into fashion trends. So definitely correct me if I'm mistaken or you can add to this, but I feel like trends used to maybe start from the top, maybe the runway, and then other smaller brands may take inspiration from that. And then trends will kind of trickle down inspired by the vision of designers with the most influence. Is that still the same? Is it more driven by consumer taste today, consumer purchases? Or what do you think really drives our fashion trends in society today? Oh, I don't know that it's ever super straightforward. So I think to some degree you're right, right? Like it, there there has been a much more top-down approach in the past that has been sort of shaken up. But even in the past, it's like there are always movements like punk or, you know, sort of these like small fetish subcultures that designers would find and be really inspired by and sort of pull their aesthetic into these designer level, then that would trickle down to maybe a different demographic. But it really didn't start with the top. It started with this subgroup that was probably outside the confines of mainstream fashion. I do think some of the things that, for better or for worse, are driving a lot of trends that really get legs and have staying power are street style and social media. And it's... (laughs) It's people dressing for the camera in a way that <laughs> to some degree we always have, right? Like as long as there's been photography, we've wanted to look good in pictures, but it's a different thing today because if you work in fashion and you're going to fashion week, you you just know that you're going to spend anywhere between one week to a month being surrounded by all the most important people in the industry while there are hundreds of cameras around you. <laughs> and so you can sort of either choose to play the game or not, but you, there are, there are ways to dress that like pop more for street style photographers. And those usually tend to translate into things that work well on social media. So I think that does drive trends. Like there are things that I will, I go to like press appointments with brands or PR companies here. And I'll, I find myself thinking like, Oh, this coat is a street style coat or like this coat is a, is like a fashion week coat. And what I mean by that is usually like this, this will do really well with street style photographers. Like I can see some walking down the street in this and all of them are going to like raise the camera and I can see this doing well on social media. It's the kind of thing that people will double tap. So Mm -hmm. I have really mixed feelings about that because on the one hand, I kind of love like dressing up and going a little crazy and like having an excuse to do that. But I also think it's, it's really interesting that we're, we're not always dressing for real life anymore. Like we're dressing for the screen and I don't know, that can feel kind of dystopian for me. (laughs) Right. So people aren't necessarily dressing for self-expression per se, but dressing based on expectations of the camera and that particular environment or situation. Yeah. And knowing, and knowing sort of what will, again, what will play well in the world of the internet, which isn't always what I mean, what looks good online does not always look good in person. When you see some of these, like, and I don't mean to like bash anyone, but like self-included, like there can be things that I'm like, this looks great in a photo, but it's not, it's not necessarily something that in real life I feel as good in. And so it's always a funny thing to, to sort of figure out 
who you're dressing for and what you're dressing for. Mm. And I think designers know that. I think they're, they're really aware of what plays well online and you can see which designers sort of gravitate towards which audience, I guess. Right. And the other thing is not all fashion trends stick around for the same amount of time. Some just come and go. Some become really influential in popular culture. So my question is, do you think trends influence people or are trends just a reflection of what society or people really crave? So in the sense of like how people on social media really like something, what what drives that? Or is it the other way around where trends start and then they influence what people like? That's such a good question. And I don't, I don't know that I have a perfect answer. I think to some degree it's both. And it, it also probably depends on the person, right? So there are there are early adopters with different kinds of trends and there are people who are more likely to follow the pack. So I think there are some people who cr- help create trends because they do just like what they like and they might like what they like when it's in and even when it's not in anymore, they'll still like it. And then when it comes back in the second time, you know, however many years later, they'll still be into it. And there are other people for whom following trends is fun or interesting. And I think in the sustainable, the sustainability world, it's easy for us to sort of deride trends, which I think is fair to some degree, right? Because it, it drives consumption in a way that's not healthy or normal. But I think the other side of it is to some degree being being aware of trends and being able to play into them to a certain degree is a like just a valuable part of social capital, right? So it's it's a way of communicating without having to say anything that you're sort of aware of what's going on, that you're in tune with nowness in whatever sense and whether or not that's a that's perfectly true, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is it is a way of saying that like you're sort of you're living in you're living in the present and you're aware of, of sort of the conversations that are happening around you. So it's, it's tricky. I, I think there are, I think trends are created by people. I think trends are followed by people. And I think there are good and bad reasons to participate or not. With that in mind, if we were to strategize getting sustainability to infiltrate more into the mainstream in both fashion and beyond that, what do you think that means we should do? I think it it requires different things from different parts of the the sort of ethical fashion ecosystem. So I think it's been really cool to see big, big brands that have a lot of sort of power and influence start doing things around sustainability. So like you know, every time Caring, which is the luxury conglomerate that owns Gucci and Saint Laurent and Balenciaga, every time they do anything in the realm of sustainability, they're not necessarily the ones who have been thinking the most innovatively about it, but they have so much clout that anything they do helps make everyone else in the industry want to do it too, because they're cool and they're powerful. And so that's important. I think the little, you know, from little brands, it's really important the ways that they push innovation and are really uncompromising because even if they don't get they don't, even if they don't always get the biggest market share I do think they help push the bigger players and they help prove that it's possible it's it's really hard to say like oh it's you know we can't do xyz sustainable thing because of this thing as a big brand when your customer can say okay well <laughs> there's this other little brand that's already doing it and they're showing that it can be done i think for 
you know, the average consumer part of it is being loud about it on social media with our friends, like making it really clear that we care about this and then also voting with our dollars. I encounter brand leaders, brand founders, designers who I'll ask them about sustainability. And it really like comments on social media, people sliding into their DMs, emails sent to them really do actually impact people at the top sometimes into thinking about sustainability. So I know it can feel small and that they don't always respond, but I've actually had people tell me that that gets through to them. So I think there are a lot of different kinds of actions that we can take to try to shift the industry in a more sustainable direction. And do you have recommendations on what sorts of emails might be most effective or that they may be most receptive to? I I feel like just expressing sort of curiosity about where and how things are made usually does it. So whether it's an email or a comment on Instagram, just being like, hey, you know, I love your stuff or I've been a customer or I've been a fan for a while. I'm curious about where this is made or, you know, what's being done to protect workers in your factories or I'm interested in why you aren't organic certified or, you know, whatever it is, just sort of asking the things that are valuable to you as an individual and expressing to the companies that you like that those are your values and that you'd love to see those those values reflected in how they do business. Mm. And finally, what do you think we can do as individuals to help address the two things that you mentioned earlier? So supporting regenerative agriculture through fashion and then also addressing the issue of, I think it was microplastics that you talked about was the other thing? In terms of the regenerative agriculture conversation, it's really new in a lot of ways. There's, there's a, a long way to go, but I think, honestly, one of my dreams is for someone to set up a fund that would basically subsidize the cost of certification for farmers because farmers keep having to sort of shoulder the costs of people who are doing things poorly. So what that means is that farmers who are doing things right essentially have to pay to prove they're doing things right when it really should be the other way around, right? It's like someone who's polluting should have to pay a fine for polluting. So that's all to say, if anyone has ideas or access to funds to start (laughs) something that could subsidize that cost, that's one of my pipe dreams that I have no idea how to make happen. Um, On a sort of more individual level, I think it's just going to be expressing interest in regenerative farming, talking about it with people, expressing interest to companies, especially ones that are already organic, just let them know, you know, like, Hey, I love that you're organic. Are you, is there any plans to move towards regenerative practices in the future in terms of synthetics and, and plastics and microplastics? I think again, just choosing not to buy virgin synthetics, like whenever possible you buy something that's recycled or or just not a synthetic in the first place but if you need a synthetic like try to get it from some place that's recycling at least some percentage before it ever even ends up in your hands well thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us we would of course love to keep learning from you and following your work so what is next for you and where can we follow you online Easiest place to follow me online is probably Instagram. I'm just at Unwrinkling. I'm also the same handle on Facebook and Twitter. In terms of in-person events, I'm going to be speaking in Portland in April and then in New York the following week. So if you have any interest in meeting up and you're on either the West Coast or the East Coast in one of those cities, find me online and let's see each other at one of these events.
This podcast wouldn't be here without you, Green Dreamer, so just thank you so much for being here. We've officially launched our Green Dreamer network for our listener patrons supporting the show, and we also extended open invitations for our past guests to join as well. On the inside, we're sharing positive sustainability news, green professional opportunities, thoughts and ideas on topics discussed on the show and beyond, and more. It's so easy to feel like we're alone on this journey, so I hope that it'll be a safe and inclusive space where you can connect with inspiring people with aligning interests and passions from around the world. To join us, you can just head to Green Dreamer dreamer.com slash support. I hope to see you on the inside. And for now, to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting or enlightening social media account or publication you follow? One of my favorites is Amy Bornman, who is a maker and a writer. And just the way she thinks about the world is so beautiful to me and really moving. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I think about what legacy I want to leave. What are you working on right now for your health? Trying to rest more, trying (laughs) to create space to really rest and not just be idle, but really like put away the phone, (laughs) not be with people and just give myself stillness and space. What are you working on right now to live more sustainably? I got to address my takeout habit. Y'all, it's bad. (laughs) Being in New York and being really busy means that I don't always have time to cook. And I cook a lot and I love that. But I cannot speak from a place of moral purity around plastics because I do order takeout and it almost always involves plastic containers. So I am trying to work on getting better about that. Yeah, I've totally been the same way, just not having any time. So any entrepreneurs out there wanting an idea for what to take on, Honestly, like a delivery service that delivers in reusable packaging. I feel like that would do so well. So if anyone's up for that, please make that happen. (laughs) What makes you most hopeful right now about our planet? The fact that regenerative agriculture could literally sequester all the world's carbon and the way that we saw so many students turning out for the school climate strike. I, I just think knowing that the next generation is invested in this and cares about this and is seeing that they can really make their voices heard makes me really hopeful. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? This might seem like a little bit of a departure from other things that I've said, but I really believe that part of our problem around consumption and overconsumption and not taking care of the planet comes from not taking care of ourselves spiritually. And I think if if you're not in touch with your own needs on a really deep level and your own emotions, it's, it's hard to take care of anyone else. And that includes the people that are making your clothing and that includes the planet. So everyone, please take time to cultivate a spiritual life that's meaningful where you're in touch with yourself. Make sure to take time to cultivate meaning and fulfillment within your own life. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. And a huge thank you to our new patrons, Andre Lilo, Jordan Fetter, and Lindsay Johnson. You too can become a patron and join our Green Dreamer network at greendreamer.com slash support. As always, our show notes are at greendreamer.com slash 129 for episode 129. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can find me on Instagram at Shane and at Green Dreamer Podcast. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.